Professor Peter Williamson, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Judge uh, Business School White Paper podcast series today. You've written a paper on cost innovation and why China is so good at it. Can you just explain what you mean by that term, cost innovation? Yes, well, people generally think about uh, China as having low costs, and the thing that immediately comes into their mind that flow from that is low prices. And that's not that terribly interesting as a pure strategy. So what we see the Chinese doing is using their low cost to bring high technology to the mass market very quickly, for example, or to offer more variety and customization without a big price premium. So that innovative use of their cost advantage is what we mean by cost innovation. And of course, in the old days when we had trade restrictions, the West, and particularly Britain during a recession, might have seen that as a very threatening concept. Why has China been so good at it? Well, one of the reasons that China has uh, developed some capabilities in this area is because the mass market in China are really people with very little money. They've got maybe an income of $5,000 a year or about £3,000. So that means that to really sell to that mass market, you have to get the price down very low. So it's no good bringing a high-technology product at a massive price premium because there's hardly anyone who can buy it in China. So what they've learned to do is to take innovative products, innovative technologies, and put them at the price the mass market can afford. But doesn't that squeeze the Western economies? And, And the Western economies have higher wages, higher costs of living. Isn't it unfair competition in a way? Well, it is a problem for the Western economies because we have this idea that, yes, the Chinese might do low-end clothes and shoes, but we all do the high technology, uh, high value sort of things. But uh, China is moving up the value chain very quickly, and I don't think it's because of unfair competition, but it does mean that Western companies need to ask themselves how are they going to learn the tricks of cost innovation, and do they need to do more things in China in order to get some of these advantages. So basically, you might say if we were going to compete on the Chinese cost innovation model, we couldn't afford the salaries of the Western world. I think you have to rethink what your value network looks like. So uh, some things will have to go to China, some things will still be done in Europe, uh, where there are clear advantages, there's clear knowledge, there's clear culture, there's clear design skills. But I think what's companies are needing to think about is it's not just low-end manufacturing in China, high-end design in Europe. It's a more of a mixture where some aspects and some products are done in China and other design aspects are done in Europe. So I think a more complex sort of value web will, em- will emerge. And some of the old thinking where we do the high end, they do the low end, really needs to be reconsidered. Yes, you use the term sunlit uplands uh, of the West. China now is also copying our models of business in terms of the service industries too, isn't it? How is that going to mean that the West has to change and innovate? That's true. I mean, a lot of uh, companies 
when I mention cost innovation, their immediate reaction is, well, we will just move up market to higher and higher value services, higher and higher uh, value products. But there's a problem with that because as you start to go into the top price levels, the volumes decline and therefore you can't spread your fixed cost. So I think uh, Western business will have to rethink their business models and say, how are we going to regain the mass market? That might be by having a different kind of alliance or cooperation with China or using their Chinese subsidiaries in a different way or rethinking their own business models. I guess one of the uh, good examples is Swatch Watchers. They have... uh, Uh, over many years managed to bring the Swiss back into the mass market for watches by completely changing the business model. And why do you call them Chinese dragons? Is it because they're always chasing the Western economies, then always jumping ahead of us? Well, I think uh, a lot of people have this idea that the Chinese are simply catching up. And in choosing the term dragons, I guess we were trying to get away from that idea to say that Uh, They're a little bit different. Uh, They're powerful. They've got a lot of money and resources and a big population behind them. But they're also perhaps not the kind of animals we were used to competing with in the West. So not so much catching up, but I think I like to think of it this way. The requirements for global success in the world market are changing. Uh, That means that Western companies who are already established have to change. It means Chinese companies are changing, and they're both in a race to the future. So it's not a matter of catch-up, but both are saying the world in the future will be different. Who is going to get there first? Are they spending enough on research and development? Do they really know the markets they're going into in terms of product innovation, or are they just sort of copying the West? Well, I think that's uh, something that's changing, and the senior leadership in China have now uh, made it very clear that China has to ramp up its spending on innovation as a percentage of its gross domestic product. In the first phase of development, it makes sense uh, not to try and completely reinvent the wheel. Uh, But I think China knows that to go uh, to take its full role in the global economy, it will have to increasingly innovate itself. And that has been happening. Uh, Again, it's a myth to say that Chinese companies don't have any of their own technology. A company like Huawei which is uh, one of the suppliers to British Telecom's 21st century re-equipment program, has basically brought Chinese technology into the European market. And it is proprietary technology which they developed. So it's not everybody that has that, but I think Chinese companies will start to spend and are starting to spend much more innovation. It's a national policy to bring the country to the next stage of development. Another quick thing I'd just like to mention there comes back to where we began, and that is cost innovation. We always think of innovation as more sophistication, more bells and whistles, but you can also be innovative about how you take costs out of a product and how you manage to bring it to the mass market uh, more cheaply uh, so that more people can benefit from the technology. That's about your business model, I presume. But can you've just come back from China. Can you say, well, that's a rising dragon company and that's going to do well in the future and the West ought to look out? Yes, I think uh, there are obviously a wide range of companies in China. Some are very much 
what you might call the Wild West or the Wild East, uh, people who are just arbitraging in the short term, looking for opportunities to take advantage of very low labor costs. And I don't really think those companies are going to make a big mark on the world market. But there's a series of serious companies in China that we call the Dragons, who have understood that to be successful globally, they need to upscale the quality of their products to bring new technologies, to bring uh, brand building eventually into the global market. And I think those companies, by using this cost innovation, uh, are going to really make a big impact on global competition. So let's just ask the obvious. Why are the Chinese so good at coming into our markets? And then why don't we go into theirs in the West? Well, uh, I think the first answer to that is we have. Uh, there's about uh, 400,000 foreign companies operating in China today, and some companies like uh, Nokia, uh, for example, uh, probably around uh, 30% of their global revenue is uh, now based out of the Chinese market. So we have gone into their markets, and I think actually that is a key to why Chinese companies have been successful in coming out. Uh, it's probably the first economy in the world which has opened up to the world before it was fully developed. And uh, because they've had to compete with foreign companies on their own turf, they've learned something about how to do that. So that's paradoxically the fact that China opened up early on, a lot of foreign companies went into China, has mean that the Chinese companies have learned how to compete globally much earlier in the development cycle than they otherwise would have. So it's becoming much more of a reciprocal agreement, although clearly China has these rising dragons, it has the, the competition edge because it, it has lower costs on the West. Where do you think China will be in 10 years' time? Do you think it would have eclipsed the Western economies? One has to be careful about seeing it as a zero-sum game. I think actually there are many benefits for the West uh, for China's continued growth. And what I see happening over time and is a mixture of the capabilities that Western companies have developed with some of these cost innovation capabilities that Chinese companies have developed coming together to make a stronger set of global companies. That might happen because... Uh, there may be alliances between Chinese companies and Western companies. It may be because Western companies take over some Chinese companies to get these new skills. Or it may be, and I think we will see quite a bit of this as we start to come out of the bottom of the current recession, Chinese companies acquiring Western companies in order to get brands, in order to buy technology, in order to build their own base of skills. So I see a new breed of companies emerging. Some of them will be Western companies, some of them will be Chinese companies. So I don't think we should see it as uh, one uh, coming to dominate the other. Do you think the value systems already China in Africa might inhibit that cohesion in the future, simply lack of democratic processes, different values. Is there a social ethic there that might be in conflict with the business ethic? Well, a lot of people do uh, talk about this issue, and uh, one can't say that everything the Chinese do as they go overseas uh, uh, would uh, be seen as the highest standards in terms of uh, ethical or social values. On the other hand, one has to understand that China is a 
uh, in many ways still a developing country and those things are improving over time. So I think that while there are some difficulties in that area, it will improve and also we have to remember that, and maybe it's somewhat cynical to say this, but when you're big, when you're wealthy, when you have a lot of uh, profit potential there, uh, people often tend to deal with you even if they don't like some of the other side of uh, what might be there. But I think it's easy to overplay those differences. Uh, I think we have to remember that maybe 50 years ago or 100 years ago, uh, the kind of policies and values that the US or Britain even uh, adopted when it went overseas weren't quite what we expect now. And uh, we have to recognize that China is in the process of transition, uh, where I think these things will improve over time. So really, if you had a crystal ball and you were looking at the West, the emerging economies and China, you would say that perhaps more of the traditional economies will have dragon companies in the future, just like China. China's setting the role models for the future. I think so. I think a lot of people will be looking for this. And, you know, in the political arena, we are starting to talk about a multipolar world. I guess we also need to think about a multipolar world uh, in the business arena. And the question really is, how do companies, suppliers, partners fit together in the global jigsaw, not simply one dominating the other, but how do we reconfigure this global jigsaw to actually bring more prosperity to everyone? Professor Peter Williamson, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Judge Business School White Paper podcast today. Thank you.